This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Dr Andrew McGregor, lecturer in French studies at the University of Melbourne, and Roberta Ciabara, film programmer at ACME. They joined me in the studio to discuss the Jean-Luc Godard screenings at ACME. The films include Redoutable, Godard Mon Amour, and Le Mépris. I'm really pleased now to welcome Dr. Andrew McGregor, who is a lecturer in French studies at the University of Melbourne, and also Roberta Ciabara, who is film programmer at ACME. Welcome to you, Andrew. Hi. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, and Roberta. Hi, Amy. Hi there. Now, welcome and thank you for coming in because it's um, really great to have this chat and to, I'm hoping, delve a little bit into the life and work of Jean-Luc Godard. Mm -hmm. He is, um, in my view, an amazing filmmaker, someone who constantly inspires me. I'm often um, left without words as to how he created some of his works because You could use the word genius, and I hate to say that because it's a cliche, but I think he does deserve the title. But we are here to talk about two specific films. The first one is called Redoutable, and it's in subtitles or in brackets, Godard Mon Amour, so Godard My Love, um, which is really about part of his life. And it's not meant to be a non-fiction version. I mean, parts of it, obviously there must be parts of it that are factual, but we can't necessarily say that it is a completely factual account of the period that we're looking at. But certainly it is based on a true story. It's based on a memoir from one of Jean-Luc Godard's wives. <laughs> Wife number two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and she, you know, was a fascinating actress um, in her own right and certainly a really important figure um, in film herself. So um, we are talking about, and can you please pronounce the name so I get it right? <laughs> Anne Wierzemski. Anne Wierzemski. There you go. And she she wrote a memoir which apparently the film director of this, uh, this film read and approached her and said, I'd like to create uh, a film about your relationship with him through your eyes. I'm not quite sure if it really achieved that. Mm. But if you look at the film as it is, which I approached it with a very open mind, mm-hmm. um, which is that it may be a piece of entertainment. There may be parts of it that are true, but who knows? We won't really ever know. Only Jean-Luc and Anne will know what's true and what's not. But that it is, I guess, a bit of an ode to Goddard, really. Um, it's certainly not hypercritical of him, but... Let's talk about Redoutable because I know mm-hmm. both of you have seen it. Um, Andrew, I know uh, you have... I saw you at the screening <laughs> last Thursday, but I didn't get to say hello. That's right. I was so excited that you were there to yep. see it again. Um, that was great. Enjoyed it. Yeah, so what did you think about it? Well, look, I, I think it's it's a great film. And when I say great film, I think it's a very enjoyable film and I think it's a great introduction to Godard for those who are not so familiar with his work and with, with the myth of and the legend of the man himself. Um, I think it's perhaps not a great film in terms of filmmaking history, but I don't think that was the objective. It is marketed as a comedy, and I think you can get away with all sorts of things once you start um, going down the comedy path. 
And I think that was really appropriate because there's such, you know, such a, a myth, such a cult that surrounds the Jean-Luc Godard personality Absolutely. that I think this film really does a great job of breaking that down and making it accessible. Um, you mentioned Anvia Zemsky's book, and I actually did read both of the books that she read about, um, that she wrote at least about her relationship with Jean-Luc Godard. And first of all, she's an excellent writer, and that mm. occupied most of the, the latter part of her career. Um, and what really comes through those books is a lot of love. It's mm. actually a phenomenal love story. And I think the film, to a certain extent, does justice to that. But I think in the books, Godard comes through as a much more positive character in terms of his devotion to Anne herself. Um, I think it, the film itself really does focus on his preoccupations with political movement and the drastic, you know, phenomenal revolution in his own filmmaking career to the point where he actually decided to effectively kill himself off, as it were, and become a part of a film movement that was very much part of the, of the era, the kind of Marxist-Leninist-Maoist movement, yeah. and kind of disappear into a collective, which was very fashionable at the time. Um, the Beatles were going off to, to India and Godard was, you know, wrapped up in Maoism. But it was very much like a dogma that took over his life mm -hmm. and I think effectively put an end to his relationship as well. Um, but the film really, I think, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting one because it, it reaches, I think, a really great balance between a kind of ode to Godard, as you mentioned, because I think he comes off as an exceptional artist, really at the cutting edge, really at the avant-garde, and it's hard to think of any kind of artistic uh, creator um, still alive today or, you know, throughout the course of film history... Of, throughout the course of film history, who is more devoted to giving everything to the work that he produces. And um, that work has certainly evolved over the years. Um, and it's, it's great that we have the opportunity to see the film at Acme, um, along with um, his other great work, um, Contempt. Screening yeah. exclusively at Acme, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Roberta. Um, I saw an opportunity, I took it. <laughs> and there'll be much more of that. Roberta, uh, you know, you are a film programmer at, at Acme and you've brought two films about Jean-Luc. We'll talk about um, this one about his life first and then obviously we'll move into Le Mepris soon. What was your response to the film? Well... I too went with, I guess, a sense of apprehension, basically, because I just wasn't sure what it was going to be. So um, there was a huge sense of relief, really, because <laughs> I absolutely enjoyed it. Um, and as, as you've explained so eloquently, I think that the fact that it's based on the subjective point of view of, um, you know, the woman he shared his life with, with a number of very critical years, um, means that we, we see him through her eyes. In fact... Um, when we see uh, Louis Garrel as Godard right at the start of the film, which in itself is such a huge leap for people who know anything about Godard to yeah. accept Louis Garrel as, you know... <laughs> It, he's such an iconic image, Godard. We can see Godard. Mm. So when you see Gorel, there's just that adjustment you need to make. You do. Uh, and then Stacey Martin's narration, voiceover, tells us that, you know, she's in love with this artist that she respects and how wonderful that all is. And then suddenly it kind of all makes sense. Mm. Um, so we accept Gorel as Godard. We accept her as, as Anne. Um, and it, uh, it humanises him. Um, and I think... Um, uh, when you talked about mm, Michelle Hazanovich's approach to Anvia Zemsky in, in order to, uh, I guess, be, you know, clear the rights to be able to adapt her story for the film, um, she had had obviously a number of approaches and had basically, she wasn't interested mm -hmm. um, because you can imagine the, 
the trepidation she would have felt about what people would do with that very personal material. And basically she had effectively politely declined his approach as well and then right at the end of their conversation apparently uh, in an interview he's given he said, you know, it's a real shame because I just, um, uh, there's there's a real uh, lightness too about it. You know, it's, I can see this material as being comic as well, um, not not in a... Uh, not in a way that denigrates the sentiment or the tenderness mm. or the pain, but just, you know, a, a certain lightness of, of tone. And, and that kind of really turned her around. Mm. And so then, then she started to listen more attentively. Um, and, yeah, so I, I think it humanises him. And when he does... Um, you know, when he becomes a difficult character, I mean, the man's imploding. He's, he's for, for, I don't know, seven or eight years, he has been um, the icon of the French New Wave movement. Uh, he's an auteur like no others, even though there's a very select club of auteurs <laughs> that he fraternises with to some extent. Uh, and now suddenly he's trying to kill the auteur and join this collective movement uh, and reimagine himself and the style of films he's going to make uh, and how to integrate politics and ideology and all of that into it. So, you know, that's a hard place for anyone to be, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I, I, yeah, I, um, I actually, I think it's a, a wonderful solution to the problem of how do you even, you know, a, apart from making a documentary, but even approaching the idea of making a documentary about that period in Goddard's life is, mm. I think, you know, it's very almost delicate. insurmountable. That's right. It's a very delicate subject matter. And apparently, Anvia Zemsky was very happy with the result. Of course, Goddard famously said that it was a stupid, stupid idea to make the film. And one yes. wonders whether he's actually seen it. I doubt it somehow. Well, he said <laughs> making the film was a stupid idea, but we right. don't actually no, know what he thinks about right. the film. It was the idea of making it, that's true. But yes. when you think about it, it's a rather extraordinary situation to have mm. your ex-wife writing a book about sure. you and having a film adaptation. So I think it's, um, you know, it was a big a big ask from the outset and I think it was extremely well handled. Mm. And I do think Louis, personally, I think Louis Garel does a fantastic job. I, I, I was completely won over by his take on Godard. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly had all the mannerisms down, just even the physical movement, um, the, the lisp was there, yeah. the slight Swiss accent, all of that yes. was there. Um, if anything, I think Stacey, well, Stacey Martin, I think, did an excellent job as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one thing that was really apparent in the book that perhaps didn't come through in the film was the fact that Anvia Zemsky, she's a beautiful woman, but perhaps, perhaps an unconventionally beautiful woman, mm. and was very insecure about that, about her physical appearance. So if anything, yeah. I think mm-hmm. we're back in the situation where we have an actress who's far too beautiful, <laughs> conventionally beautiful yeah. for the role. And we kind of lost that aspect to it. She was always kind of questioning her validity uh, to a certain extent, including her her physical presence. Um, But on the whole, I think it was... Yeah, the fact that it obviously was based on a personal account from Anne's side. Mm. Um, so I think, once again, we're a step away from a factual account. It's by no means a documentary. I just think it's a, it's a lot of fun and a great way of evoking the kind of style of the era as well. And yes. it's, it's great to yeah. know that we're actually this month celebrating the 50th anniversary of the May 1968 student mm. uprising. The so revolution very, very that timely. wasn't. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly right. And it's interesting how the film picks up on that mm. and how Godard is still wrapped up in that ideology right. when everyone else has kind of moved on already. He has been incredibly <laughs> consistent since May 68, yeah, you right. know. He's still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he never went back to that 
pop art star. He never went back to the star that made him That's famous. Right. No. So he mm. has been consistent. In fact, just last month, of course, he was um, at Cannes. Well, he wasn't at Cannes. I, I uh, understand he appeared in, in he an interview. He was on FaceTime. Skype <laughs> or something? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were using an, a phone, an iPhone, uh, yes. and video right. interview. <laughs> yeah. To create that sense of detachment, of course, that is so important <laughs> in his style. Uh, but he received... Um, a special award, uh, and I've, I've forgotten the wording, but it's something to the effect of for continuing to advance the form of cinema or, you mm. know, cinematic exploration. Uh, yeah. And at 87, and, <laughs> and given the filmography and, and recent, you know, just his output in the last decade, I mean, he's super prolific. Absolutely, mm. and I think that, that kind of says it all, and it's, um, you're absolutely right to mention that, Roberta, because um, I think, just listening to Kate Blanchett talking, because she was president of the jury this year mm. at Cannes, um, I think they really didn't know what to do with the film and how to react to it. And from the critical responses to the film, this yeah. is his latest, um, the image book, um, it's really, it's kind of classic Godard because one, you can't just adopt a, a kind of conventional approach to reading this film. And he's always challenging our position as spectator as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work that he demands from his spectator too. Yeah. And not everyone is prepared to put in that work, I guess. And you can have a, an endless debate about whether, you know, that is a worthy, a worthy enterprise. But like we said earlier, he certainly is true to form, and you're absolutely right. He never went back to making those conventional films, as he saw it at the time. But I guess what what we can say too that comes through in the film is the fact that once those films are out there, those classic films from the yes. French New Wave, they kind of belong to us too. They do. They're kind of public exactly. domain. After. Yes. <laughs> and you know, regardless of what Godard has to say about them, they are you know absolutely fundamental to the history of cinema. Uh, he may have disavowed them for a mm. moment in '68, but I'm sure he's come <laughs> around and gone. Actually, they were pretty wonderful, weren't they? <laughs> pretty damn amazing. <laughs> Seriously, um, it's funny that you say that the actress playing. And doesn't really look like her because I I thought she really reminded me of Chantal Goya who was in Masculine Femina. Uh huh. Mm. And I and, thought and a Karina a yes, little bit. Yeah. Too. I mean that's Karina, that was a criticism so. that was levelled at the casting. Yeah. It's like why why has he chosen someone who looks like Anna Karina? <laughs> exactly. But, but it is actually the truth is more prosaic. Um, Stacey Martin, the the actress we're talking about, was in a film with um, I'm not sure if it's Berenice Bejo or Bejo, mm. but mm. the director's wife. Mm. Um, She's an actress in her own right, but they are married. Uh, she was in The Artist um, a few years ago um, for which they, they won the Academy Award. That's right. But yeah, mm. that's right. Um, so she has a role in, in uh, Redoutable. Um, Redoubtable just doesn't have the same. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> doesn't. Does it. And I, I understand Godard Mon Amour is an alternate release title um, in the States. It's a US title. Mm. I yeah. yeah. And, mm. and I actually, I, I prefer it just because apart from the fact that Redoubtable is it kind of doesn't like really a, work in nonsense word in a way God Amon Amour to me immediately suggests a feminine perspective Mm. or somebody else's perspective on on him and it is her Mm. perspective so I think Mm. that you know it works quite it's quite lyrical Um, but to get back to Stacey Martin um, uh, she and Berenice um, were in a film together uh, Childhood of a Leader uh, which was seen here not so long ago. Uh, Robert Pattinson was in it as well. Uh, I've forgotten the is it Brady Corbett, the director, a new director. It was a, it was an auspicious debut, and and they co-starred in it, and that's where the director uh, met her. 
and mm. just thought she had the look of someone who was born in that, you know, was came of age in that decade. Um, she had that sort of 60s look about her um, and uh, I think she's been brought up in both England and France, so she just kind of yeah, has that sort of, yeah. you know, dare I say it, Jane Birkin vibe. Very, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There are all sorts of connections to be drawn Yeah, yeah. So And she was certainly young enough. That was another thing that, that yes. came through in the books too, was the fact that she was incredibly young. I think there were at least 17 years between them. There were. And yeah. it was, you know, even for the late 60s, it was kind of fairly scandalous as well. So I think, you know, mm. all the ingredients were there. But perhaps not for the late 60s, I don't know. Uh, film directors <laughs> get away with a lot. <laughs> That's true, at the time, for yes. sure. Yes, and Jean-Luc was a celebrity at that time because we're looking at his later career. I mean, he's still working now, but in terms of that really um, prominent French New Wave period where mm-hmm. he's still engaging, um, you know, prolifically in that new way of doing cinema in France. This is a bit later on. It's past his uh, film A But de Souffle mm. um, and, uh, and he was part of a group. He was probably the most prominent really but uh, we also had Francois Truffaut, Jacques Rivette, uh, Claude Chabrol, yes. a great mm. director um, and uh, also Maurice Scherer and Eric Romer and they mm. were part of a film criticism group that uh, had a, a publication, Carrière du Cinema, yes. which is such an important vehicle for mm. them to get their ideas out there. But these films are really the example, the, the most important, I guess, part of the whole theory and the whole intent behind these films. They're really um, so good at exemplifying the spirit of the We're talking about the the films from like Breathless to Contempt in 63. Mm. Exactly. uh, Woman is a Woman in 61. Band Apart is 64, I think. uh, Band of Outsiders. And there's another one in there. He had the most prolific five-year period. He was just knocking Mm. out one after the other. Made in USA. Made in USA. Mm. Piero Le Fou is a fantastic film. Her Life to Live, another, uh, in fact... um, Alphaville. (laughs) Yes. Love Alphaville. (laughs) (laughs) He was occasionally making two films at once as well, and that's how prolific he was. It's quite extraordinary. And you're quite right to evoke that period, and that too, of course, was an absolute revolution for world cinema history. But it, it's fair to say, too, that that was also a very youthful movement because mm-hmm. they're all, you know, it's actually their first films that we're talking about. So, and once again, absolutely true to their word in that they criticised, particularly Truffaut actually criticised the cinema that was at the time. And that was a kind of grand cinema based heavily on literary adaptations. Yes. And this mm-hmm. was really kind of like the, the, the birth, I guess, of the auteur movement. So the idea that the film director really had some kind of personal vision to represent in this film. Mm-hmm. And from then, um, vehicles like the Cahiers du Cinema picked up on this notion. And to this day in France, the director of the film is as much a star as anyone actually appearing you know, in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great legacy, I think, of uh, French cinema in general. Yeah. And this film, Redoutable, it does pick up on and pay homage to some of the um, film techniques that Jean-Luc Godard was using. I mean, there's so many notes I was taking, like, you know, text interspersed randomly. The slow pans left and right. right. Tracking shots that go forever, you know. he Mm. And that the random sounds happening, Mm -hmm. um, talking to the screen um, and then going back to your conversation with the other actor mm-hmm. there's just and the the um tinting across the screen of mm. different colors yep. 
all these things to just say this is not a stage boundary creation of anything We're in a different space right. there's so much vitality and mm. energy and originality and to a very all of theatrical that. space too because in fact it was the apartment they lived in that was the set for La Chinoise um, which was his kind of big failed Maoist project as we see at the start of um, Godard Mon Amour as we'll call it from now on yeah. <laughs> but I was actually in their apartment so and also you have those primary colours often referencing yes. the French flag as well so there was a lot going on on many many different levels as Homer Simpson would say mm. um, and it, it works I think the film really does work in that in that sense because it's it's not they're not just kind of cheap references no, I think it's all. actually they're really quite brilliantly integrated mm. into the whole narrative it all holds together it's kind of a recipe for disaster but it's actually held together I think really quite yeah, brilliantly and just that that lightness of tone that mm. um, Hazana Vicious is able to set and maintain uh, I think is incredibly consistent throughout uh, you know it's 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 a lovely film it's not a film by Goddard no. <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't kind of um, superimpose you know a whole different set of expectations mm on it um, or Godardian set of expectations on it. Mm. Exactly. I don't think anyone could possibly try and replicate Jean-Luc Godard. It would be <laughs> Well, they could, horrible. but it would show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're ready to talk about Jean-Luc, director of this film. And as I said, it's showing at Acme. Um, it's really a rare experience to see it on the big screen. And it's so well suited because of the wide shots that are just so epic of um, the coastline of Capri. Mm. Um, you know, some of those beautiful modernist buildings in this film are just so breathtaking. Um, it, it really is a feast for the eyes, let alone, you know, getting into the content of what this film is about. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about, I guess, the actors and how this film has come about. It's, um, it is based on a novel, uh, it, well, two novels essentially, I guess. Um, it, it's a film within a film, so um, we are looking at... Homer's The Odyssey, and uh, and we have Fritz Lang play, playing himself essentially. Indeed. It's amazing, <laughs> like what a treat! Um, and and great um, to see. There was an interview between Fritz Lang and Jean Luc Godard, yes. like a chat that's an hour long chat on the extras for the DVD, which I also availed myself of. And it's such a beautiful thing to see, like this, you know, older, um, important figure in cinema of Fritz Lang and a much younger Jean Luc Godard, and they're kind of. I I guess they're fanning each other. They're like, oh, my God, I just love you so much. It's the alternate Truffaut and Hitchcock, isn't it? It's <laughs> it a is. real so true. Right. It is a bit of a love fest. Um, and this film, it's spoken in a range of languages. It's yes. Italian, French, German, English. And we have a translator, mm. Francesca, who regularly pr- either pre-translates someone before they even speak or <laughs> she kind of manipulates or alters the meaning of some of what the characters are saying and that's a fascinating thing in itself to see you know what's going on in the subtitles um and and there's been some speculation that um there was a very specific reason to have that translator there and to have the subtitles be such a prominent element so that there was no dubbing because Jean-Luc Godard could not stand <laughs> dubbing, which was a common practice yes, at the time. very Absolutely. common. And I respect him for that. I loathe dubbing. <laughs> <laughs> it is really disturbing, isn't it? it? Well, you don't get to hear the actual actors. No. Right. So it, it's a different performance. Mm. Totally. And we have some great actors in this film. Oh, yes. I mean, the most obvious one is Brigitte Bardot, who... 
Wow. Um, <laughs> what, what I don't know. Michelle say? Pickley for my money yeah. is, is, is the draw card. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously I can appreciate Bardo's performance. Yeah. Well, it, she's so, um, I mean, there's so much going on under the surface of yeah. her character and you're constantly going, what's happening? Like bubbling underneath there. And, you know, mm. she has so much contempt <laughs> at times for her husband well, yes. Paul. First, it's sort of estrangement, and then it just it deepens, yeah, doesn't it? Uh, it does. And and he's he's at a loss to, to understand, or even when he does understand what what the ostensibly there's something that happens um, uh, that that sets her off. Um, mm. And for the longest time, you're thinking, if only he could understand what it is. But then <laughs> That's key, I think. he makes it mm. quite clear that at the end that he kind of understands what it is. Um, but still, this whole thing is a mystery, her, her response. And, and it's just there's this ineffable quality about it was there when the film starts, they're in love, uh, and then it, it kind of dissipates. And it's a mystery. It is. Uh, and it's elusive. Uh, and there's a lot going on under the surface with Michelle Piccoli's mm. character, of course, too. But mm. he's, he's very content physically um i guess we're not saying a lot about the plot are we but um well certainly the theme i think is is absolutely characteristic characteristic of french cinema because the kind of breakdown of relationships and the the difficulty of communication and i think that's mm. really where godard is really onto something with this particular film yeah it's also come back into to vogue in, in french studies as well because of its multilingual quality as you mentioned yeah. amy um very avant-garde for the time mm. and also just with that subtitling there's also the sense that we're very dependent on the subtitles but we're also not a hundred percent convinced that we're getting everything here and i think that's a big part yeah. of what um, godard was going for as well He's obviously fascinated by language, the kind of coding involved and the, the, the limitations, the structure of language and how to go beyond that. And I think that kind of language of cinema is what he's exploring much more deeply in his later works. But this is a real gift, more I think. More explicitly, to the, absolutely, right, with actually absolutely. the text actually being there yes, on the screen. Yeah, that's, a, that's a real, mm. you know, uh, it's absolutely characteristic of his, of his work. Um, and I think that... It's interesting too, isn't it, to talk about this film having just spoken about um, the revolution that took place and is represented in in um, Le Redoutable because I mean, that, in terms of um, icons, you mm-hmm. can't go much further than Brigitte Bardot. So it's not just he's turning back, <laughs> turning his back on contemporary society. He's gone from one extreme to the other, quite dramatically. Yeah, so. I, I do say he probably struggled with aspects of the production. Uh, this was a uh, he was already quite famous when he well he was he was famous. He was the guy who'd made um, Abu de Souft. Uh, mm. So um, the the template was set, uh, but it was it. It was a bit of a departure in that it was a bigger budget. Mm. Um, it wasn't Anna Karina, it was Brigitte Bardot. Mm. Uh, and was it his only widescreen production? I think it might have been. I think it might. It was, yeah, Cinemascope. 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 Yes, mm. yes, mm. it yeah. was. Uh, so uh, sometimes people epic. report it as his first colour film. It's mm. not his first colour film. It's his first colour Cinemascope mm. uh, yeah. because uh, A Woman is a Woman in 61 was colour, but it was Eastman colour, so not quite the same mm. scale. And it's very you know, vivid, isn't it? It's, Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's really seductive visually. Mm. I mean, it it is. <laughs> um. It's so true, and we are. It is based on um, a novel which is called Il Disprezzo, A Ghost at Noon. Is the English translation, yes. which obviously is that, still lacking. Yes, something's gone on there. Il Disprezzo <laughs> is, is is quite. A, it's just contempt. Yeah, contempt. Yeah. Mm. yeah so. 
tragically, that's where being a multilingual speaker is certainly of benefit. I'm a little bit jealous of people who do know multiple languages fluently because, as, as we all know, it just adds so much more richness to the understanding. But I want to um, focus on some of the fascinating parts of this that was going on behind the scenes because mm-hmm. I know that he, Jean-Luc, had two American producers um, for this film. Did he? Oh, he did. Carlo Ponti. And, or at least one, Joe Levine. He still mm. had uh, Georges de Beauregard, mm. who was... was there since day one. Yeah, <laughs> he was. So those every other film he'd made up to that point, Georges de Beauregard was a producer. This one in particular, though, had a lot of money behind it and yes, had no, additional it did. producers. It did. It, oh, okay. And so one of them, Joe, uh, actually insisted that there be more nakedness yes. of Bado, which is yes. why perhaps we see... <laughs> Her naked body, um, various up close, times, <laughs> very slowly. Panning Let's just say it's a good, yes, it's a good it's, use it's, of cinema scope. Yeah, no, he really he he <laughs> he he bristled at that, um, and it's interesting. Um, I came very late to Tu Va Bien, a film he made in four years after the revolution, um, May May seventy two, and in that um, he's, he casts Jane Fonda, who at this point had become Hanoi Jane, and um, Yves Montand, who was a very famous actor, but he was also very famous for being involved in the communist. Um, Movement, and he, of course, was the star of Wages of Fear. So there's sort of a lot going on there. Mm. Uh, but he basically, at the start of that film, when we finally see them as a couple, uh, he has them do kind of a version of the dialogue where it's like, you know, what do you love about me? Do you love my, you know, my mouth, my ears, you know, my hair, mm. the, the whole thing? And watching it, I just remember thinking, hang on, I've seen this before, <laughs> but oh, that's right, they were in bed. Uh, she, Brigitte Bardot was naked, whereas in '72, Jane Fonda and he Montan as two adults in a relationship are fully clothed, they're just speaking to each other, you know, all of that mm. kind of sensuality and eroticism is kind of removed and and they're just communicating at, at that verbal level and mm. I think I think probably it stayed with him, it was a real bugbear of his mm. and it took until 72 for him to be able to relive and redirect that scene yeah. in, a, in a way that he was comfortable with <laughs> He did disrupt it a little bit by using um, red and blue filters across her body at mm. times which was yes. somewhat jarring mm. and I guess did kind of make us go oh hang on we're not just here to stare at her buttocks and <laughs> well, she you becomes know. a shape yeah right. it's more yeah. of a form exactly yeah. rather and an aesthetic rather than you know being um objective sub- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly subjectifying her objectifying her mm-hmm. um subjectively but I want to um, use a quote from Godard to just kind of close out this discussion or a couple of quotes. Um, Godard has told uh, an interviewer that, quote, three quarters of directors waste four hours on a shot that requires five minutes of actual directing. I prefer to have five minutes work for the crew and keep the three hours to myself for thought. <laughs> so he has that. That whole, I'm, I'm thinking, I have a whole intent behind it. A lot of thought goes into it. But to actually create that scene does not require hours and hours of That's redoing right. and, you know, and careful, um, yeah. It, it does have that um, immediacy, the quality of something mm. that is, it's a bit rough. 
I think in that regard, he's the absolute opposite of, of Hitchcock because Hitchcock said that he was almost bored senseless during the actual filming because he'd already seen the film in his head. He had yes. everything storyboarded down to the last detail. But mm. it's, it's interesting, too, that you mention that because we've talked about the film Breathless, his, his first film and, and, and one of his most revered, of course, an absolute kind of icon of the French New Wave. And I, I saw an interview once with um, one of the, the, the stars of the film, Jean-Paul Belmondo, <laughs> who was saying that they would, he and Gene Seberg, of course, mm-hmm. his co-star, would turn up to, to work each day and have no idea what was going to happen on that day. And some days yeah. nothing would happen at all because mm-hmm. Jean-Luc was kind of, you know, lost in his own thinking about what should happen. Yeah. There was so much that was improvised and mm. I, I can't express enough how much of a departure this was Style, from the cinema yes. at the time, which was very texturally heavy. Yeah. Um, and this this was absolutely radical for the time. And I think that really comes through in that film too. There's that kind of and fresh, all those location shoots, they're outside, absolutely. they're on the street. They're away from the studio, yeah. filming you know, society as it was, which was a great you know, motivator for those filmmakers. But Godard very quickly moved beyond that into further and further into abstraction. Um, you know, realism really wasn't his thing at all. No, no. <laughs> and uh, and somewhat controversially, um, I'll finish on this, uh, which is that uh, Michelle Pickley, who you mentioned, mm. Roberta, mm. as being playing Paul, who yes. is the husband of uh, I Camille. Him. Yeah, <laughs> I he saw is. him I, very quickly. I yeah. saw him um, in Venice a few years ago, and I I, I gasped audibly. I was just, you know, I mean, he must be ninety three or something, but it's still Michelle Pickley. Yeah, it's <laughs> a big deal. Um, and he he actually said he told a reporter at the time that they were making Contempt. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm not the male lead of Contempt. He is. Yes, he." wanted me to wear his tie, his hat and his shoes, and we're talking about Goddard, Mm. he said, I'm convinced that he is trying to explain something to his wife in contempt. And uh, and it's mm. really interesting. And we're talking mm. about Anna Karina here, yes. the um, the first wife That's who right. was an amazing woman. Mm. But uh, she was at the Melbourne International Film Festival a in two thousand nine. Mm. Yeah, That's I right. saw her with David mm-hmm. Stratton, yes. and she loved Jean Luc as well. And she had a similar kind of view that, you know, yeah, we had fights, but there was passion, and we loved each other at the time. So, you know, it is great to see yeah. if that you're not fighting. Mm. You're not thinking hard yeah, enough. Exactly. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Creative tension. That's what I take away from a Goddard film. <laughs> so true. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there, but we can. Um, anyone can see both of these films. Please at do Acme. come and see them at Acme. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Le Redoutable, I'm going to give that a go. Goddard Mon Amour is on for another week or so, although I think we've just added a late matinee on June 16, but uh, the season runs to about June 12, so please check the website. And uh, Le Mépris will screen twice more uh, this coming weekend. There's an evening session on Saturday and a Sunday afternoon matinee, Um, so check it out. Excellent. And feel free to come and study the films at Melbourne University. Oh, yes, do. Hell yes. I did. So did I. And and it shows, Rebecca. (laughs) Excellent plugs from my guests there. Uh, I'm really impressed with how they've picked this up. And uh, congratulations to them. Thanks for for coming in, um, Dr. Andrew McGregor, who is a lecturer in French studies at the University of Melbourne and also um, has studied cinema in Paris, I saw in his bio, and also Roberta Ciabara, film programmer at ACME. Uh, we've been speaking about Redoutable Godard Mon Amour and Le Mépris screening at ACME. You 
are tuned to Uncommon Sense on 3 R FM with Amy Mullins. This has been a podcast from 3 R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.